All right, good morning. I guess I have to say it's become tradition. I'm not the pastor. So I guess that's pretty obvious. If you would open to your Bibles, let's, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 just for a second. Really appreciate, I believe Sarah chose the music this morning. My wife and I just got back from two weeks of traveling. We drove uh, to Bozeman, Montana and went through oh, the Badlands, uh, Mount Rushmore, uh, Devil's Tower, the Grand Tetons. We said we had sensory overload. I mean, it, and then when we were in Bozeman, like Bozeman's not too boring. It's in, surrounded by mountains. Uh, we went to Glacier National Park, which is at the Canadian border. Um, and it, there's a road called Road to the S- Going to the Sun. Don't go if you <laughs> if you don't like heights. My son Mark said, "Dad, you don't want to drive." Okay. And Juan told me that he had, and if I was driving, I would have just been like this because it's about a foot-high cement block and then thousands of feet straight down for 20 minutes, 30 minutes. It's just really amazing. You know, I was thinking of the songs this morning, Lord, show us your glory, show us your power. The earth is filled with his glory. Um, I'm grateful for the flood, all right? Now, that sounds really weird, but... I'm a geologist, I studied earth science in college, and to see God's creation through the eyes of a global flood is just really amazing, really amazing what God has done. That seems like a pretty harsh statement, but that was an act of grace, because God could have wiped us all out because of our sin, but uh, he did spare Noah and his family, so just great to be back with you. Uh, we read 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 5, 12 to 21, because the lesson this morning is about transformation. And as, as I was thinking about transformation, these are some verses that really uh, st- uh, stuck out to me. You know, the idea that Jesus died for all so that all might live, all right? All is a pretty inclusive word. It includes each of us in this room each of us on this planet, each of us in history, that Jesus died for all so that those, so that they might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Shane has attributed this quote to me. I'm not sure where I heard it, but God is still in the business of changing lives, all right? There's no amens to that. That's, a, that's an amen. He's in the business of changing my life. 40 years, 50 years after I've trusted him, he's still in the business of changing my life. If you would, um, and by the way, we're encouraged to implore on Christ's behalf to have other people reconciled to God. That's That's an assignment. I look up the word implored. It means to beg someone earnestly or desperately to do something, right? So as we look at our passage today, uh, we're going to be reminded of this word again. So if you can, we'll have a little um, sword fight here, Sarah. Let's go to 2 Chronicles chapter 33. Go. We used to do this when we were in youth group. and Well, she was a youth group. I was a youth group later. 2 Chronicles chapter 33. All right. 
If anybody has a pew Bible with a number, that'd be great. 529. Now, I'm going to be reading out of the New American Standard. It's very close, so let's have a word of prayer, and we're, we're going to get started. Dear God, I'm just so grateful for your creation, that it does demonstrate your glory and your power, and to think in your might and majesty that you became one of us and died for all of us that we could have a personal relationship with you. So I just pray that this, uh, the message this morning would remind us of our need for your grace, and we're so thankful that you're generous with it. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Second Chronicles 33, I think oftentimes we think of the Old Testament as the law, and we think of the New Testament as grace-filled. But I think what we're going to find this morning, and I'm sure many of you are aware of it, there is so much grace in the Old Testament. It's just really amazing. And I was having a quiet time here a few months ago, and um, a guy named Manasseh was mentioned in the quiet time, so I really didn't know much about Manasseh, so I decided to do a little investigation. And we're going to talk a little bit about Manasseh today. Um, This is a story of transformation in the Old Testament, okay? Uh, To give you a little background, uh, Hezekiah was Manasseh's father. Now, Hezekiah was one of the most faithful kings in Israel's history. I mean, he did house cleaning. He cleaned up the temple. He repaired the temple. He sent messengers around to the entire nation of Israel, Judah and and Israel had been separated at that time. He sent messengers throughout the land to invite people to back to Jerusalem for a time of celebrating the Passover. He was an amazing, an amazing king, right? And if you, he's actually mentioned in three different books in the Bible. Uh, he's mentioned in Isaiah. He was a contemporary of Isaiah. Uh, he's mentioned, in obviously, in 2 Chronicles and also in 2 Kings. Gives some really interesting details but Hezekiah was the father of our person today who is Manasseh, all right? Now, Manasseh, as we read in verse 1 of 33, was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. Do any of you have children or grandchildren that are 12 years old? Imagine them being king, okay? Maybe they think they are, I don't know. Uh, But yeah, king at 12. Now, This is the way my mind works. We're going to make this side of the stage Manasseh, and we're going to make this side of the stage me and you. All right? We're going to have a little comparison here. So as we read the first part, let's read the first nine verses. Verse 2, He did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord dispossessed before the sons of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had broken down. He also erected altars for the Baals and made ashram and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. He built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, My name shall be in Jerusalem forever. God's a bit of a jealous God. He's not real fond of altars being placed in his temple. For he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. He made his sons pass through the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. He practiced witchcraft, used divination, practiced sorcery, and dealt with mediums and spiritists. 
He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Then he put the carved image of the idol which he had made, and if you look in 2 Kings, it was an Asherah, a female deity. He put that in the house of God, of which God had said to David and the Solomon, his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen from all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. And I will not again remove the foot of Israel from the land which I have appointed for your fathers, if only they will observe to do all that I have commanded them according to the law and the statutes and the ordinances given through Moses. Thus Manasseh misled Judah. In one of the versions it says he seduced Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the sons of Israel. Manasseh was a bum, right? I mean, think of the things that that guy did. Built altars in God's temple to false gods. Built his own false idol and placed it in the temple. Made his sons pass through the fire. He was more wicked than the kings of the nations that God had destroyed. What a bum. How about you and me? What's Romans 3.23 say? All, there's that word again, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Compared to Manasseh, though, I'm looking pretty good. How about you? Not so much. I've been listening, Brenda and I listened to a book on tape. Actually, I heard the first part of it twice. Written by a guy named Kyle Eidelman, who did the study in the movie called Not a Fan. Kyle Edelman, after that, wrote a book called Grace Greater Than, all right? And in his tape, and I looked it up online yesterday, there's a statement, I want to read this. This is by a pastor named Jean Leroux. If the biggest sinner you know isn't you, then you don't know yourself very well. If the biggest sinner you know isn't you, then you don't know yourself very well. In other words, I'm the greatest sinner I know. It's pretty quiet in here. I've been thinking about that a lot in the last few weeks since I've heard that quote. You know what? I am the greatest sinner I know. And if you think about it, so are you. So Manasseh, you and me, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In fact, I'd like you to look at a verse real quick. Go to 1 Timothy, sword fight, 1.15. Sarah, you're behind. 1 Timothy 1.15. This is Paul talking. Let me give you just a little context here real quick. Paul, when he wrote 1 Timothy, had probably already been in prison once for his faith. Timothy was a young man that he was discipling. Paul was responsible for writing much of the New Testament. If you haven't seen the movie... Where's Kelly? How many times have you seen it? Twice. 
I'd highly recommend it. What's it called? Yeah, Paul the Apostle of Christ. Just a really powerful portrayal of the life of Paul. But he had been a faithful follower of Christ. And you know what it says in 1 Timothy 1.15? It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners among whom I am the foremost of all. Not was. This is Paul who wrote much of the New Testament who had led many to Christ, who had been knocked off his horse by Jesus himself, was an amazing apostle of Christ, who says, I'm the greatest sinner I know. And this is after his conversion. What an amazing thing. So you and I are in the same situation as Manasseh, as far as sin goes. Let's read verse 10 in chapter, and we're back into 2 Chronicles 33, verse 10. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. So, here's Manasseh. God speaks. I'm not listening. I don't hear anything. I'm, I'm not paying attention. Here's you and me. God speaks. Are we paying attention? Are we really listening? You know, uh, another book on tape that we had listened to was about the uh, insanity of obedience. And this is a man that's interviewed persecuted Christians from around the world. And he, this has really struck me. He was with a group of Chinese pastors, who, most of whom had spent time in prison, physically beaten, families separated. And they began to weep when they find out how miraculous it is to live in the United States where we can meet freely and have multiple Bibles. They actually began to cry that we had such a miraculous life. That just really struck me again. Do I take for granted the opportunity to hear from God, to hear from his word? Let's go to verse 11. Therefore the Lord brought the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria against them, and they captured Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze chains, and took him to Babylon. That's another part of the gospel. We've all sinned, and sin has consequences. There are wages of sin. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So let's think about Manasseh here. It says he's captured with hooks, okay? Um, If you read in Isaiah, it talks about the people of Babylon putting a hook through the nose of the people that they capture, all right? I was thinking of back in the days on the farm, we always had one really large bull in the barn with a ring in his nose, okay? Anybody been around a bull with a ring in his nose? That thing might be a monster, but if you get a hold of that ring, he's like a kitten, all right? Just want to make sure you get a hold of that ring, okay? Uh, I remember a particular bull that had a large ring, and I remember my dad, when they, they were young, he would cut a slit between inside the nose and put this ring through, and you could control those things pretty well. We actually had one we painted silver, 
were you still on the farm, Roger, when we painted the bull silver? Oh, yeah. Anyhow, we decided to paint the bull silver. Silver horns, silver rings around his... And my dad came home, wasn't very happy with, with his children. That was fun. But, yeah. So, there's consequences to sin. Manasseh gets hooked and chained and drugged to Babylon. All right? Do we have consequences to our sin? Absolutely. Sin still has consequences. It appears like, ah, what's a little sin going to hurt? Sin has consequences. Right? Sin has serious consequences. This is a quote from uh, Eidelman's book. Sin is an eternal illness and grace is the antidote. All right? So we've all sinned. Sin has a penalty. Now in verse 12, we read about Manasseh's repentance. When he was in distress, he entreated the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. All right? When he was in affliction and distress, uh, some of the versions, I believe the New King James uses the word implored again. He begged someone, begged God earnestly or desperately to do something. Okay? Have you been there? Have you been there where you've begged God earnestly and desperately to do something? If you haven't, you probably will. That's part of life. It's a very difficult part of life. But you know what? Manasseh humbled himself and entreated God. And what did God do? He expressed grace. You know, God calls us to repentance. Usually, God gets my attention when things aren't going the way that I had planned, or he's not on my time schedule. I don't know if he's on yours. He's not on mine very often. Isaiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. When we get to that point of desperation, God God will be there. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And that's that's exactly what he did for Manasseh. Manasseh's humility caused God to give him grace. Verse 13, what an amazing verse. When he prayed to God, this is God, he was moved by his entreaty and heard his supplication and brought him again to Jerusalem to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Just think that this bum of Manasseh, God gave him grace. God's grace is greater than Manasseh's sin. And guess what? God's grace is greater than your and my sin. There's an amen out there somewhere. That's a powerful thought, that God's grace is greater than. You know, grace is undeserved favor. Did Manasseh deserve God's favor? No. Do you and I deserve God's favor? No. But God's gracious. God is gracious. That's an amazing thing. I love this next part. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. 
you know, there's some verses that we learn when we first come to know Christ about assurance of salvation, all right? 1 John 5, 11, 12, and 13, the gist of that is so that we can know that we have eternal life, okay? Um, there's some verses in Romans 8, uh, verses 14 to 17, so that we can know that we have eternal life. It says here that Manasseh knew that the Lord was God, okay? He had a close encounter with God. Now, I had to bring this up because I love the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Has anybody seen it? No? No sci-fi people here? Do I, I see it? Can I get an amen, Tammy? Yeah, yeah. What famous mountain is that? Remember? It's Devil's Tower, Wyoming. All right? What? I got a whisper back there from the boss. Um, Devil's Tower, Wyoming. Wow. It's, a, it's an amazing geologic structure. But in the, in the movie, the close encounter of the third kind was that there was actual contact between the aliens and the people. You have to watch it. It's got some great, great music. It's got great music. But Manasseh had a close encounter with God. It says that he knew God. Question is, have you and I had a close encounter with God? Or do we just know a lot of facts? All right, do we know a lot of facts? I remember I had a student one year that was just a Michael Jordan uh, super fan. And he could tell me every statistic, every detail about Michael Jordan's life that the average person didn't know. But do you think if he was walking down the airport and passed Michael Jordan, that Michael would say, hey, what's going on? Do you think Michael knew him? No, he just knew about him. So my question is, have you and I had an encounter with God? Or do we just know about him? That's a big difference. See, when God wants to express his grace to us, he wants us to have that personal encounter with him. All right? Let's read verses 14 to 16 in 2 Chronicles 33. Now after this, he built the outer wall of the city of David on the west side of Gihon, in the valley even to the entrance of the fish gate, and encircled the Ophel, which is an elevated area, with it, and made it very high. Then he put army commanders in all the fortified cities of Judah, He also removed the foreign gods, did some house cleaning here. He removed the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord as well as as the altars, which he had built on the mountain of the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, and he threw them outside the city. He didn't take them home, he threw them outside. He set up the altar of the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings on it, and he ordered Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. All right? So those are acts of repentance. So why, what motivated Manasseh to do all that stuff? Was he trying to earn God's favor? No. God had already brought him back to Jerusalem. I think Manasseh had an attitude of gratitude. He was great. He met the God of the universe. God changed him from the inside out and caused him to want to restore that temple, to restore his relationship with God, to restore the people of Israel, Jerusalem and Judah's relationship with God. 
what's your and my motivation for following God? Is it to earn his favor? No. The gift that Christ gave us on the cross was a free gift for us. Our motivation to live lives that please him is out of gratitude. It's not out of trying to earn anything. You can't earn a free gift. You know, the last thing I was thinking about as as I was doing this lesson, the question is, so is God still in the business of changing lives? I think the answer, obvious answer is yes. But that change is not to make my life heaven on earth to enjoy his faith. It's to prepare me for the trials ahead and to slow me, uh, to, to allow me to enjoy his fellowship. You know, I've been thinking about that. I've been spending quite a bit of time at Menards. Anybody been there lately? Lowe's? You can hardly get in the parking lot at Menards, okay? What are, what are we trying to do? We're, we're all a little bit guilty of trying to make heaven on earth, okay? And I'm not, I'm not saying never go to Menards or boycott Menards. No, I'm saying we're trying to make this life comfortable and make it as heaven-like as possible. Reality is our heart needs to be on eternal things. If we can do that and still maintain an eternal focus, that's what's really important. Because God is in the business of changing my life, and he also wants to change the life of those around us that don't know him. He wants us to be ambassadors for Christ, right? As we read it in our passage in 2 Corinthians, all right? Last thought, verse 20. 17, 18, and 19 just sort of talk about a a summary. Verse 20 says, So Manasseh slept with his fathers, and they buried him in his own house, and Ammon his son became king in his place. All right? We are all going to sleep with our fathers. Okay? Unless the Lord returns. We're all headed for the grave. I had just an awesome, Brenda and I stopped to visit Ed and Cher on Wednesday night. The, what a, you want to talk about a picture of transformation. If you would have known those two when they were younger, they've been transformed, okay? And you know what? We're talking, Ed is hoping to get a heart pump this week. It's a pretty risky operation, one of the biggest risks is a blood clot that goes to your brain and causes a stroke. Okay? Because, and the other thing that's a risk for Ed is they have to sort of shut down his kidneys for the five or six hours that he's having surgery. He already has some kidney issues. So there's some concern. You know what? Ed looked at me and said, you know what? If this works, I'm going to feel a lot better. And if it doesn't work, so he said, I'm going to be in heaven. What, a, what hope? What great hope and perspective. So, you know, you and I are going to sleep with our fathers. For those of us that have accepted the free gift of salvation, let's not minimize the greatness of God by not recognizing the depth of our sin. When I realize that I am the worst sinner, how much greater is God's grace? If I have the, per, the perspective, perception, I'm not that bad. 
Well, how, big, how important is God's grace? It's, it's important because I am that bad. And if there's anyone here who has not accepted that free gift of salvation, don't put it off any longer. We're not, one thing the Bible doesn't promise is tomorrow. So if there's anyone here that has questions about that, having that personal relationship with Christ, please, please stop and talk to someone here before you go today. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, it's just amazing to realize how great you are, how sinful we are, and yet you are willing to give us grace that we don't deserve. That you love us so much that you became one of us, that you paid the incredible cost. I just think of what it must have cost you to pay for my sin and yet to think of the sin of the world that you bore on your shoulders. No wonder you sweat drops of blood. Thank you for your sacrifice, that you defeated death and rose again, and because of that, that we can have hope of new life, a transformed life here, and the hope of eternity with you. And I just would ask God, if there's anyone here that walks out of these doors today unsure of where they stand with you, Lord, that they would stop and pause and accept that free gift that you offer. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.